Thank you for weathering the weather, weathering the weather, weathering the storm. Is it still snowing? A little bit? You guys are overly quiet. Yes. She did have it today. You sure can. Uh, you're gonna have someone's gonna have to help me spell her name though. G O N Y E A U. Andrea Gagne. She's on the worship team. Her uh, her husband Chris. She's got I think three kids all in the youth and um, great great family. Had gallbladder surgery today in Lebanon. Uh, and everything went well. But let's uh, let's add her to the prayer list. Please. G O N Y E A U. You're welcome. All right. Start me up back there, Blake. I have forgotten my my device. What I've done with it. Receiving the promise. We have been talking the last two weeks about uh, tapping into the source of God's abundance, right? I've kind of been building a case to show you, to show us that the promises of God are ours. They are, they, we, we have rightful ownership to the blessings and to the provision of God. Now, now, I think from last week it was now. We pray as though we receive now. Not tomorrow, not the next day, but now when you come up for prayer for healing, regardless of what you feel, we believe for healing now. The scripture showed us that he answers us now, that the provision has already been made. We saw last time these five basic principles. There we go. Five basic principles of provision. I must have a a battery going down or something, uh, Blake, so just hang in there with me. Number one. God's provision is in his promises, is in his word. Number two, I'm not working at all, Blake. I'm sorry if you're having to do it. The promises are our inheritance. They are ours. They have been provided for. We have scripture that shows us that they are ours. They are rightfully ours. God is just waiting for us to come and access his power, his presence, his provision. I don't know that that'll fix it, though. I kind of, I think everybody would agree. I've got bigger issues than just batteries. But uh, y'all got that? Good. You are out there. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to catch you somehow. Um, I don't know if us pulling the lights down during worship is putting you to sleep. I would uh, hope just the opposite. I hope it sets a, a worshipful atmosphere and not a sleeping atmosphere. But uh, anyway, I think we got it warm in here and it's snowing outside, so we're all kind of ready to kick back. Also, number three, God's promises are the expression of his will. His promises are the expression of his will. It's so hard. To, I don't I don't it shouldn't be hard. But sometimes it's hard for us to grasp the fact that God is revealing and performing his will when he blesses us. 
It's his desire. It's what pleases him. It's his will. When we pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, part of that is that we receive his blessing. He did not send Jesus Christ to the cross to die for our sins. Thank you. For us to come up short. For us to not live an abundant life. Jesus came and provided all to everything that we would ever need. And it is the Lord's pleasure for us to access that. Now. Amen. Principle four. All God's promises are available now to us through Christ. And then number five, the fulfillment of God's promises do not depend on our circumstances, but rather upon us meeting God's conditions. And that's what we're going to look at tonight is these conditions. As a practical application, we're going to look at two specific promises. As If we can apply this practically, uh, I want to uh, consider two specific promises of God, both found in Psalm, in Psalms. Psalm 34, verse 9 and 10, it says, O fear the Lord, O you his, saint, o you his saints, there is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Psalm 84, verse 11. It says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Both of these are clear promises that God will provide everything good that his people may ever need. Hallelujah. Everybody here have everything they need? Is, any, is anybody here, you have no needs? None. No, pastor, I got a need. Gotcha. God wants to do it. It's clear. But before we go claiming these promises, let's take a logical step examining the conditions. I'm not going to do this tonight, but at lunch, uh, the word logic came up. And does anybody remember my logic joke? Hope you can remember it because I'm not telling it again. It embarrassed me when I told it then. But anyway, if you can remember, it's about a weed eater. If you have a weed eater, then, okay, well, sorry, I'm going to leave you hanging. Maybe I'll read it to you next week. You guys are a tough crowd tonight. Amen. Amen. Uh, but let's look at it. Neglecting this step is where we go astray. If we say, ooh, yes, I want to claim those promises. What a beautiful promise. I want that. But if you don't examine the conditions, we miss it. Most of God's promises are conditional. What do you mean? It means if you do this, I'll do this. If you do this part, I will do that part. However, there are promises in God's word that are unconditional. For instance, it says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. You know what? There's no condition on that. He will do it. It's, it doesn't say, if you do this, then I'll pour out all my spirit on all flesh. Nope. It says, in the last days, I will do this. We don't have to, to, to get that one right. He will do that. Another one is about the restoration of Israel. 
God will restore Israel. And if you will follow it, he is restoring Israel. We are in the last days. These are unconditional promises that are related to a certain time. There are some promises that God will do unconditionally when it suits him. However, many, and let me rephrase, most of God's promises are conditional. So let's look at some of the conditions. What have we got to do? And it was in those scriptures we just looked at. Before we claim the promises contained in those verses, we've got to do some biblical analysis to discover the conditions that are attached to the promise. Keeping in mind, the promises are only given to those who fulfill the conditions. So if we combine these two scriptures together, there are three simple conditions. Let me reread this. I'm not going to bring it back up for you, but let me reread it. Oh, fear the Lord, O his saints. There is no one to those who fear him. Young lions suffer Lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. And for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. What must we do? Number one, we must fear the Lord. It says it. Oh, fear the Lord. There's no want to those who fear him. Can you put A and B together? Those who don't fear him. There is want. Okay, we must fear him. Then it goes on to say, but those who seek the Lord, we've got to fear him. We've got to seek him. You really want to line up with God's blessing. Seek him. Tonight we, we started to go, I don't want to say deep because we're just kind of touching the surface, but you know, um, we're, we're, we are, we're trying to go a little bit farther in worship. You know what that is? That's seeking. We're looking, we're desiring more. Moses kept saying more. You've done this God, but more. And you know what God did? He responded every time Moses asked for more. Every time when Moses stopped asking, the Lord stopped giving. But every time Moses asked for more, he gave it. God's a God when we ask, he gives. We must fear the Lord. We must seek the Lord. You know, it says in Matthew 6, 33, it's one of my all-time verses. It's what? Monday morning, 9 a.m. prayer. By the way, that's open to the congregation. That's for the staff. The staff comes together to pray and a few intercessors come. But it's open to the whole church. 9 a.m. Monday morning. The center of that is... Seek ye first the kingdom of God. It's our first hour of the week. What, what's good that's happened now is the deacons are now showing up. And I'm not doing this to toot any horn. I, don't, I definitely don't want to miss my blessing by gloating about what we're doing. I'm not gloating at all. But now the deacons are coming in at 6 a.m. to pray on Monday mornings. I love that. That's scriptural. That is putting first. That is going first after him for our whole week. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What happens when we seek first? The Lord begins to lead. The Lord begins to guide. The Lord begins to, to give us our steps to walk, which will be correct. They'll be in his path. They will be in his will, and in his will are blessing and provision. We must fear. We must seek then Psalm 84, we just read, no good thing will he withhold to those who walk uprightly. We got to walk. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and 
His righteousness. You, re, you translate that, it, it is walking uprightly. Walking righteously. It goes on to say later uh, in Scripture that we just have to practice righteousness. If we will practice righteousness as He is righteous, then we will be made righteous. We, we are the righteousness of Christ. But it says to practice righteousness, which means, hey, I know you're not perfect. You're not perfect. You're going to fall down. But you've got to get back up. Sunday morning, that's what we're talking about, is, is letting your failure take you to uh, success. Letting your failure, not, not letting failure keep you down. We seek after Him. These promises, these promises, we must, we must fear the Lord, we must seek the Lord, we must walk uprightly. Provided we meet these three conditions, then Chris, Scripture says... He will not withhold any good thing. Isn't that awesome? But we're going to have to go just a little bit deeper. The key word in this promise is good. What is good? How many knows we can get mixed up with what good is? No good thing will God withhold to those who meets these conditions. So before we start going and claiming, I think we need to kind of try to understand what is good. So let me ask you two more questions. First of all, is the thing good in itself? Or let me use some philosophic term, terminology. Is it absolutely good? I mean, I don't want to completely shoot over your head, but this is the invariable in the situation. A thing that is absolutely good is always good. Secondly, when we ask, is it particularly good for me in this situation? Or is it relatively good? This is the variable. Something that is good in itself may not be good for us in our particular situation. In, in, in other words, it may be absolutely good, but not relatively good. <laughs> hang in, hang in there. The, the, the distinction, we've got to go and look. We've got to go and look at this, that which is absolutely good and that which is relatively good. We've got to really search it out. How does Scripture evaluate wealth, riches, abundance, and prosperity? Now, I'm going to make all this clear. In themselves, are they bad? Or are they absolutely good? We've got to look at it, uh, uh, both objective and scriptural. You know, the background of a lot of Christians with a, with a strong religious attitude is that anything that's nice, anything that's, that's nice is sure to be bad. And anything that's good for you can't be enjoyable. Right? If, it, if, if it's really fun, it must be sin. And don't tell, don't tell me you've not ever, you weren't brought up that way. I, I, I don't want to say that I was brought up that way, but I was brought up around that. If it feels that good, it must be sin. If it's that good, it must be sin. That attitude was instilled into us as children regarding, you know, the medicines that you take. The worse it tastes, the better it must be for you. Right? My kids will say, ooh, is it the orange stuff? I hate the orange stuff. 
And in the back of their mind, they're thinking it must really be good for me because it tastes so bad. Pat Boone gave a testimony as a high schooler. He came to the conclusion that if he were to become a committed Christian, it would mean 70 years of misery and then heaven at the end. And that he wasn't sure if heaven would be worth the 70 years of misery. Good or bad? The question I want to pose tonight is, is poverty good or bad? Do you know that some believe that poverty is good? Are riches good or bad? And instead of answering it with an emotional answer or a religious tradition, I want us to go, let's look at it logically, objectively, and scripturally. We should disassociate ourselves from these emotions and not be involved in any activity or process that would... If wealth is bad, if we were to determine that wealth is bad, then shouldn't we remove ourselves from it? Shouldn't we just get our hands completely off of it? It's my conviction that Scripture clearly and consistently gives the opposite answer. Riches and wealth are essentially, absolutely good. And there are a lot of Scriptures that we're going to look at to support. The first one is Revelation chapter 5, verse 12. The angels and all the living creatures and all the hosts of heaven are speaking, and they're voicing a unanimous consensus in all of heaven. And their evaluation is absolute and unchanging. With a loud voice, look at what they're saying. They're saying, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, who is Jesus Christ, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Good, 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 good. Everybody say good. good. It's good. Every one of those seven items is essentially good. They belong by eternal right to the Lord Jesus Christ. The second one mentioned there is riches. Then it says power, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, blessing. That puts riches in very good company. All these seven items are essentially absolutely good. However, they can all be misused and abused. Obviously, power can be misused. Strength and riches and wisdom, they too can be misused. I believe Solomon is an example of a man who had tremendous wisdom and misused it and wound up in idolatry. I love reading about Solomon, how he was brilliant. No one around him was as smart. Let me tell you, no one around him was as rich. Why? Because he served the Lord. That was God's blessing. Abraham's blessing was God's blessing. God knows how to bless you. He knows how to provide for you. But it can be misused. The fact that something is absolutely good in itself doesn't mean it can't be misused. We would be foolish to refuse something because it can be abused. However, this is one of Satan's favorite tactics, is to make us refuse something good because we've seen it abused. And if that's enough reason for us not taking advantage of God's provision, there'll be nothing left to get. Because the devil can always find some way to misuse anything. You know, Satan didn't create anything. 
He just perverts it. Satan's not a creator. He's a perverter. He can't create anything. He can just mess it up. God's the creator. Everything God's created is good. Until Satan gets a hold of it. And then he messes it up. So many Christians are influenced by this kind of reasoning to the point that they no longer appreciate what's good and what's theirs by right because somebody misused it. I can't accept that. No matter if the whole world misuses riches, if it's good, I want it. Likewise, for wisdom, power, strength, honor, glory, or blessing. The one important factor in evaluating something is to determine its source. Where does it come from? In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 12, David is praying to the Lord. And look what he says. Both riches and honor come from you. What is the ultimate source of riches and honor? God. God himself. We have got to grab hold of this fact. God is the ultimate source of riches and honor. And anything that originates from God is good. There are many other passages in Chronicles that confirm this, but we're not going to look at them. Let's look at a, a, a parallel text from Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant, which He swore to your fathers. Now, again, here it is again. It is, it is to God's benefit that we are blessed. It says it. Let's look at it. It is God who gives us power to get wealth. So many people misuse power, but it comes from God. Why does God give this to us? To establish His covenant. To establish His word. It's His promise. He desires to do it. He desires to do what? Give me power to get wealth. That's God's desire. It's God's desire to give you power to get wealth. If wealth were bad, then why would God make a covenant saying, I'm going to give you the power to get wealth? That's messed up. That's not what it says. Wealth comes from God, which is good. And it's God's covenant to give you the power to get wealth. That he might establish his covenant. It's part of the covenant commitment to his people. So what's the covenant? Keeping faithfulness. The faithfulness of God. Rather than on the unfaithfulness of men who misuse the power given to them by God. You know, when you look at people that are wealthy, it's evident to me that wealth does not always equal um, level of education. Many educated people are financial failures, while others can't even spell their name right and become extremely wealthy. There was a man one time uh, that, that appeared in a newspaper. He couldn't read or write. It, it read about this man, this man's testimony, where he applied for a job as a janitor. And they said, you know what? You're very suitable. You would fit just fine. Just sign your name right here 
on this application. But he said, I can't sign my name. I don't know how to write. So they refused him the job. And after being turned down as a janitor, he started to sell cigars. And one thing led to the next, and he became a millionaire. He later got interviewed saying, oh, my goodness, look at what you've done. That's remarkable. You can't even sign your name, and you've become a millionaire. Well, I think what you would have been if you could have signed your name. And to that he answered, I'd have been a janitor. (laughs) Education does not equal wealth. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're coming from. Education doesn't equal not wealth either. I'm not trying to say education's bad. But I'm just saying, you know what? If you are a child of God, you apply. I don't care what your history is. I don't care what your past is. Go to the cross. Take it to the cross. If you think about wealthy people, you know you'll find out that wealth does not have to do necessarily with education. The most unlikely people get rich, and rich is, a, is a, not an easy, easy defined word either. Doubtless there are, over principles, there are principles that apply, but nevertheless the ability to gain wealth is not explained purely in natural terms. The source is God. Fear the Lord, seek the Lord, and walk uprightly. Fear the Lord, seek the Lord, and walk uprightly. We're going to get into Deuteronomy 28 next week. Now, if you're not getting excited over that, I don't know what to do for you. The first half of Deuteronomy 28. No one will get excited over the second half. We're going to look at both. We need to know both. But you know what? It is time to be able to realize and start speaking out of your mouth regardless of what you see. If you're waiting until you see it, that's not faith. Speak it now. God, you desire, you desire to give me power to get wealth. It's part of your covenant. Well, Father, I gave my heart to you years ago, but today I start to speak it out. I start to seek after you. Lord, I fear you. I'm not trembling thinking you're going to swat me like a, like, or step on an ant or, or play like a, a, a magnifying glass playing games with ants. Have you ever done that? When you all are growing up, you know, you start burning... You know, that's not God. That's not God. But we fear Him in that we, we, we come under His authority and we desire to do right. Good fear of children is not where they're scared to death every time Daddy speaks or moves. But when He asks of something, they respond. Because they know He's a good dad. And He'll correct them if they need corrected but He'll also bless them when they get it. Fear the Lord. That's something we could just spend a year on, is the fear of the Lord. Fear the Lord. There's a book by John Bevere. I might even have it back in the back called The Fear of the Lord. If you don't understand the fear of the Lord, great. Seek Him. Seek, the, seek fear of the Lord. What is that going to equal? Seeking Him. Fear the Lord, seek the Lord, and walk uprightly. Father, I thank you for tonight, Lord. I thank you for your, your power and your presence, Lord. I thank you for intimate worship, Lord, where you just begin to bless us and touch our hearts. 
Lord, you begin to melt us into what you desire for us to be. When we melt, Lord, before you in worship, Lord, we become, we become the, the clay on the, on the wheel that can be molded. Lord, I just ask over this church, let the worship melt us. Lord, let us be willing to get on the potter's wheel. And Lord, take your hands and place them on us. And mold us and make us into what you desire. Lord, teach us the fear of the Lord. That is part of your covenant also. Holy Spirit, teach us the fear of the Lord. Father, help us to seek you daily. It says to seek you early in the morning. And Lord, help us to walk this out righteously, uprightly. And Lord, when we do that, we just ask you for your blessing, for power to get well. Lord, for your blessing, your covenant blessing that you desire to do. Lord, we are. I am asking according to your will, according to your word. Now, Lord, I thank you right now for breakthrough over this body right here. Thank you for that provision. Even though we may not see it right this second, Lord, the provision is here. God, your name is, is that you are here. Thank you, Lord. We just bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You guys be careful going home.